This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here, and uh, boy, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. My compadre at ESPN, who uh, she is uh, the most wonderful person to work with at ESPN, and we've got a big team. We've got a lot of personalities there. And, uh, of course, I'm referring to the one and only Mary Jo Fernandez, who, of course, was a great player in her own right, top five player in the world. But now, well, dare I say, Mary Jo, maybe one of the easiest people to work with at ESPN. And I think you know, what, I think you know where I'm coming from, don't you? Oh, you're too kind, Patrick, too kind. But thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm excited. This is great. Well, you know, I... I all of my podcasts, Mary Jo, obviously I've been doing a little potpourri of, of topics, obviously tennis related. And, you know, I want to get your thoughts on what's happening right now in, in the French Open. But uh, what, I, what I like to talk to my guests about is their, their interest in tennis. Obviously, we've got some sort of celeb types on, but then some tennis people like you and me and Chris Everett and uh, Martina and so on, uh, Mansoor Barami I had on. So I want, to, I want you to tell me first, before we get into the w- women's final coming up at the French Open and the men's semis, which will be tomorrow, what you think, uh, how you got started in tennis and why. Okay, so I got started very early. Um, I was about three, almost four years old when I picked up the racket. My older sister, Sylvia, used to play. She's 10 years older than I am. And I would just tag along. Um, my dad would, you know, play with her. He grew up playing socially in Spain. So he would take her out to practice every day. And I would sort of tag along, hit on the wall, hit against the fence. And the next thing you know, when I was about six years old, a local pro came up to my dad and said, you know, I've been watching your daughter play. I think, um, you know, I'd like to give her some lessons. And my dad thought he meant my sister. Mm. And he was like, no, she just does it for the exercise. You know, I don't <laughs> think so. He's like, no, no, the little one. I've been watching the little one. She has good eye-hand coordination. Right. So he did. His name was Tom Gonzalez. I'll never forget him. He was from Peru. And he started giving me lessons. And, you know, living in Florida was a great place to, to learn and to compete. There were tournaments every weekend. So I started playing tournaments, you know, pretty much right away at six, seven years of age. Um, now, now I know, really did, you, did, your, did your parents play? Because I know your dad was from Spain. Your mom was Cuban, if I'm correct. And, uh, correct, yeah. But you, you, you grew up basically in South Florida, even though you were born um, just in the Dominican, a, in the Dominican Republic. Republic. So when, do you even remember when you came to the U.S. or you were so young? No. Oh, I was a baby. I was six Your baby. Old. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah, so we lived in Miami. I grew up in Miami, and uh, my dad played socially. Like, he, he knew a little bit about tennis. My mom had never seen tennis. I've never picked up a racket. Um, it was pretty funny because when this pro told my dad, you know, he wanted to give me lessons, my dad told my mom, and my mom was like, you know, how do you know he knows what he's talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you should investigate a little bit. And, and um, if you remember the great, you know, American champion, Gardner Malloy, sure. he used to uh, teach in South Florida. Right. And somehow, I don't know how they found him, but they did. And they took me to, to hit with him for about an hour. And after the hour, he said to them, the most important thing is that you put her in tournaments so she learns how to lose. Hmm. Interesting. And that's what they wow. did. And, yeah. And I played every weekend. I lost every weekend. Um, but I loved it. I loved competing. And, you know, that's one thing, you know, you know now as well as I with, with kids that play is, 
competing is important. And um, it was really good being in South Florida because there were, were tournaments every weekend. Now, uh, you know, growing up and, and you, obviously you lost every weekend, but you also had obviously a lot of success because, I mean, I know as a junior, you know, you won, what, what did you win the Orange Bowl, like 16 years in a row or something? Or you won it like, <laughs> you know, when you were the t- 12, 13, 14, you know, the, one of the biggest junior no. tournaments in the world. But w- w- what was it like uh, competing at such a young age, because I started playing as well at age six in tournaments. And I remember, you know, playing against kids that were 10, 11, um, and also losing a lot. But I just, I, I didn't, I didn't love to practice that much as a kid. I just liked to play the right. tournaments. And do you think it was just a competition? Yeah, I, was, I was more, I was more like you. I, I definitely like to compete more than I like to practice. But at that time, you know, my idols were Chris Everett and Bjorn Borg, and I was watching them win, you know, grand slams, and it was all about consistency and not missing. And I remember all my coaches early on, it was about how many balls can you get in a row without missing. And that sort of was, you know, a mental challenge every time I got out on the court. And I remember when I was about 10 is when I started to do a little bit better and, and, uh, and have some success. So, yeah, I mean, you had a goal in front of you, and – I, like you, I'd rather play tournaments than practice. So right. it was good for me. I, I didn't mind it at all. And what was junior tennis like for you? Because obviously now as parents, you know, you're navigating, you've been navigating with your son who's an excellent junior player. My daughter's a good uh, junior player, and she, so she's just getting back into it after been out injured for a while. So, um, but I know, you know, I, I, I know you pretty well, and I know you like to sort of stay in the background a little bit. I, I try to do that as well if, when I do go to the tournaments. It's not that easy uh, sometimes because right. people see us on, on ESPN and so on. But uh, how do you think – first of all, I want to know about your experience just in, in junior tennis. Like you said, South Florida particularly is a hotbed always, has always been for junior tennis. And then how you've learned from that – and, and sort of navigating what your son is doing throughout his junior uh, playing days? Yeah, well, I remember it being pretty intense, um, playing all the juniors around Florida and then traveling around the country when, when you got better and you got to play in some national events. Um, I remember my dad, um, you know, really being there every single weekend and, and just being really intense. And, and it was tough. I mean, there were parents that were a little nutty, but they're still nutty today. Um but again, I, I think my demeanor was good for it because nothing really, really got me too upset or, or too rattled. So now with my son, I, you know, I've learned to just try to, like, let him play and go in the corner. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Last year we were in Mobile, Alabama with Lindsey Davenport, whose son also is a really good junior. And, you know, we were watching the boys play. And, you know, the hard part is, like you said, when people come up to you and they want to talk to you during the match. And right. sometimes it's the opponent's right. pa- it's, it's the opponent's parents, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you know." Right. So tell me, what do you think about my son? What do you think of you know? What are his strengths? What does he need to work on? And I'm looking at them like, "Can I just watch my son play?" Please? Yeah, your son's beating my oh. son. Come on, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you see everything as as I'm sure you're well aware out there. There's there's you know the good and the bad, but. In general, I have to say, and maybe it's, it's boys versus girls, I'm not sure. The boys are pretty good. I mean, they're, they're pretty friendly. They hang out together when they're not competing. And um, it's, a, it's a fun group. I mean, my son's friends are his tennis friends. 
uh, right. which is really, really nice. Well, some, I mean, my best friends to this day, Mary Jo, I mean, I have a lot of great friends I met in, in college and in school, but my best friends mm-hmm. that I stay in touch with are the guys I played tennis with starting at 10, 11 years old, you know, here in, New, in the New York area. So I think that, that, that's great. Yeah, it's one of the great things about the sport. As you said, there's a lot of challenges and the uh, competitiveness and the the singularity of the game, you know, that you're out there by yourself. Now, I was lucky enough to play some other sports as a kid. Uh, soccer, for example, baseball, I played played some basketball. Uh, I'm guessing, because you were a lot better than I was, that you didn't do that. You played huh. mo- mostly tennis uh, um, growing up. Did you, did you participate at all in any other sports as a kid? The only other thing I did uh, up until I was about eight was swim. My mom swam, so... She had me swimming, but then basically when I was eight years old, I don't know if it was the local pro, but they're like, you, you got to stick with one. And I ended up sticking with tennis and I didn't get tired, but it's funny because I didn't do that with, with my children. So both my daughter and my son, I had them play a ton of sports. Um, and I think that's better. I think that's, I think that's more of a way to be well-rounded and, and have a little bit of a uh, flexibility, flexibility, playing in a team sport, playing an individual sport. You know, my daughter, you know, realized pretty early on that she didn't, she didn't want to play an individual sport. She didn't want to play tennis. Um, she was more of a team, team player. So she played soccer and she plays lacrosse. And then Nico, he, he always loved tennis, but he, I always had him play soccer. And I mm. think it complimented, it complimented, uh, the tennis. So, I don't know. I'm a proponent of, of playing a lot of different sports and, and improving your skill level at different things. And then obviously if you love one of them and, and you feel like you can be better at that one, you know, then you can stick with it when you're like 13, 14. But until then, I would recommend mm. playing, playing different sports. Well, I was lucky enough to hit some this summer with your son, Nico, and he's uh, as uh, most importantly a great kid, but a heck of a tennis player. So I love playing with him and wish him the best. I know he... Yeah. Love playing with you. Well, him and like all the other kids, especially at his age, you know, they're they're they want to get out and about. So it's been difficult this time for them. But hopefully, he can uh, get get into some tournaments and start competing because I know, as you said, that's what it that's what it's all about. So before we get into what's happening now, I do want to touch a little bit, uh, Mary Joe, about your career because you were, as I said, number four in the world in singles and doubles. Some great uh, results, particularly in the majors. It seemed like you played your best tennis in the majors, reached a few finals uh, in singles, including at the Australian and the French, and of course won a few in doubles uh, as well. So what, you know, a couple of matches for you, I mean, I could point to a couple, but you tell me what matches for you that you played uh, stand out when you look back now. Um, you know, there, there are a few. Um, I'm sure the one that you're thinking of is the French Open one when I was down six one five one. That would be one, yeah. To, yeah, my good friend Gabriela Sabatini um, in the quarters of the French in 93. I ended up coming back and winning that match 10-8 in the third. Um, so that was obviously a, a huge uh, moment and a huge match. But it's ironic that at the same time I got to the finals that year and I was up 4-2 in the third against Graf. Mm. Um, so that match ended up being a really tough one to lose because it was like the first time I got to a major final believing that I could win mm-hmm. and uh, I was six points away and it didn't happen. So that, that, that was difficult. Um, and then another match that stands out is I played Monica Sells in the semis of the Australian Open. I want to say it was early nineties. 
but um yeah i think you were up match point in that one yeah yes exactly i had a match point and i said okay i'm gonna hit the return as hard as i can and hope she misses but of course <laughs> i hit the return as hard as i could and she had a winner and, wow well that was um, monica and, and monica ended up being one, one of your great friends i mean she was a bridesmaid yeah, at your wedding my, right exactly one of my best friends love monica great person has a huge heart um but yeah that one definitely stands out um by the way you won you won you you won the second set in that match it was a 91 australian open um which which also happened to be the year that i made the semis there at the australian open um so 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 you and i were close but you won the second set in that you were closer than i was you won (laughs) 6-0 in the second and then you lost 9-7 and i'll I'll tell you my one quick little story about me it was because i played Boris Becker in the semifinals and Becker was, you know, one of the few top players that I could beat. You know, I had a couple of wins against him and I'd beat him in a couple of pretty big matches. He beat me more than I beat him. But, you know, if I played Agassi, I knew I had no chance. I mean, he would just destroy me. Right. But if I played Becker, I was like, okay, I mean, you know, maybe I could, I could sneak this out. So I won the first set and I remember Becker was serving uh, in the second set uh, maybe it was two, three, or three, four, something like that. I had a break point, and I remember thinking to myself, Mary Jo, right then, man, I could actually be in the Australian Open final. And from that point <laughs> that on, the, death, the, the right? wheels <laughs> fell off. Yeah, it was all over right then. It was three straight sets for Becker. So, okay, so you and I have had a lot of great experiences, and we'll have a lot more working together at ESPN. We've seen ESPN grow over the years as far yeah. as its coverage of tennis. Um, so the only one we don't cover now is the Australian Open. So before I get into just sort of you French and I, Open. I mean, sorry, the French Open going on right now. Thank you. You always correct me on air too. Yep. So you might as well do it on the podcast. <laughs> Patrick, wake up. Would you pay attention? All right. So, so Sophia Kennan, uh, yes. you know, what's amazing to me about her is the fact that two weeks ago she lost L and L. To Victoria Azarenka. I just told my son that. Yep, right. I just told my son that that's the incredible thing about our sport is that you can lose love and love, and if you're resilient, you can come back. Just a little bit like Tsitsipas losing that match in New York where he was up to to one and 5-1 and had a bunch of match points against Korich. Um, Not to mention the fact that Tsitsipas lost to Rublev just a a week ago in Hamburg, served for the match. Yeah, so the reason resilience and the opportunity i mean you just you just never know when it's going to happen even this, this uh italian woman that beat coco golf at the at the french i was reading about her story and she had never been the top 100 player and all of a sudden she wins all these matches like you just never know so you just have to be ready you got to put in the hard work you have to um you know take the opportunity when it comes but it is amazing for me to see Hennen after getting such a beat down just hang in there and tough out matches early on in the French Open and be upset and not happy with the way she's playing, but keep plugging away, keep plugging away, and now she could win her second major of the year. Well, that would be remarkable because, I mean, I never never would have predicted that. I mean, I remember watching her when I was running the USDA program years ago and going to the girls' nationals, you know, out in San Diego and watching the 18th nationals. I think Kennan was probably 15 or maybe at the time, and there was a ton of really, really good young, you know, players. And I watched her. I mean, I was impressed with her. She was very feisty the way she is now. But if you would have said to me, Patrick, she's going to win a couple of majors 
uh, in this year or, or even win one, I would have said you're crazy. So it's uh, yeah, no, a yeah, me too. I would have said no way that she's she's not the one. But you know, there there's where that mental fortitude and the competitiveness. You know, I think that's one thing for for young children is you have to compete no matter what your skill level is. I mean, that takes you a really long way. You have to compete for every single point. And she does that really, really well. And how about the youngster she's going to play in the final, in the championship match? I mean, this 19-year-old from Poland, Iga Sriatek, looks, I mean, she's got some serious weaponry. Yeah, I, I called one of her matches uh, in New York, the one she lost as Azarenka. Mm-hmm. And even though Zarenka runs, you know, pretty straightforward, the games were really long, and I kept thinking, geez, like, this girl hits the ball so big. Her forehand is huge. She's a great athlete. I wonder why she hasn't broken through yet. Um, you know, the consistency, the lack of consistency. But, you know, she's been knocking on the door. I know our colleague Darren Cahill has been talking about her for the last couple of years, um, that she's talented and that, you know, she's got all the shots. So, She's been impressive. She's barely losing games at this year's French Open. The way that she dismantled Halep was, was incredible. Yeah, she destroyed Halep and then beat Podoroska today, who was another surprise who came through the qualifying as well from Argentina. I'm watching this, I mean, her play, and I'm thinking, how could this woman be ranked you know, well outside the top 100? So that brings me to this. A question for you, Mary Jo, is, uh, you know, I know we talk about the pandemic and, you know, maybe people haven't been playing as much and you're going to see a lot of upsets. Uh, Well, we really, really haven't seen that on the men's side. Why are we seeing, do you think, a lot more of that on the women's side, especially at this French Open? Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing a lot of it for the last couple of years, Patrick. I think the unpredictability has been been there. I think that the depth is definitely better. Um, There's not that that one dominant player, you know, Serena has not dominated since coming back after um, having her daughter. And everybody thinks they can win. Everybody goes out there with belief. Um, they're just closer in level now. It's even, you know, the top the top 10 to the top 20 to top 50, there's not that big a gap as there used to be. Mm. And it, it's, it's wild to see. I mean, I don't think Fiatek was seated. Was she seated at the front? I don't believe so, but I'll I'll double check so. that. Yeah. So, and, you know, and that's with a bunch of players not playing. So, um, it just shows you that, yeah, the women are closer in skill level. They're closer, you know, when they play each other now than than ever before. I mean, when when we played at least on the women's side, you kind of knew, you know, the top eight were pretty much getting to the quarterfinals. It was week in and week out, and they were a, a level above everybody else, and, and that's just not the case anymore. Yeah, you're right. Shratek unseated coming into this uh, year's French Open. So she won 6-2, 6-1 today. Kennan uh, winning 6-4, uh, What do you think for the final? Who do you like? You know, it's interesting. I think Viatek has a bigger game and will be in more control. Obviously, the nerves could play a big factor, and Kenan's been there before, so you have to give her a little bit of the edge there. Um, it's hard to go against Kenan, you know, because of the way she fights and she competes, and she's gotten better with every match. Um, it's going to be close, but I think, I don't know, I, I think Viatek is going to be more in, in her control and in her hands. I agree. I, I, I sort of agree. I think if it's, if it's close, I think Kenan wins because of what you just talked about, yeah. but I think Sviatek actually could win it, like, easily. I mean, if she just, if yeah. like I've said, she doesn't have the nerves and she just goes out there and plays fearlessly. I mean, she's got the kind of game that she could win like totally. two and two. 
But uh, that, that's the X factor is how they handle, uh, how she handles playing in a, fin- a big final for the first time. So a couple of the guys who will likely be playing in the final are certainly used to it. Um, let's look <laughs> at the semifinals. I, th- I actually think Sitsipas goes in against Djokovic with, with a shot to beat him. I mean, as you, you mentioned, the win over Rublev, uh, which was really impressive. He, you know, he just looks to me like he's, he's getting closer. He's been knocking on the door. Not sure he's ready to, to win one as far as going through Joker and then likely Nadal in the final. Um, Schwartzman obviously beat Nadal uh, a couple of weeks ago in Rome. I, I, I find it highly unlikely he can do it again in best of five against Nadal, who, yep. who will be playing a lot better. But do you give Sitsipas a better chance or Schwartzman a better chance to pull the upset? I give Sitsipas, I agree with you, a better chance to pull off the upset. Um, I feel like he's definitely gotten better with every match. I mean, he started the tournament down two sets to love the Munar, and ever since then he's, he's really been more confident. He's been um, swinging more freely and then using the whole court. I love his game. I remember watching him uh, beat Roger at the Australian Open and sitting courtside thinking, geez, I cannot believe how early he takes the ball and how much he accelerates every single time. Mm-hmm. And he, you can tell, he wants it. He's driven, he's dedicated, um, he's committed, and, and this is his goal. So, you know, with Djokovic, he hasn't lost a match this year, and he, he comes through. Even when you think you know, mentally, he's going away a little bit. He always turns it back on. So, it, I still give Djokovic obviously the the advantage. But yeah, if someone's going to pull off the upset, I would say it's just because I think Schwartzman has played amazing, and that was an amazing effort against Team. Um, but yeah, best of five against Rafa. I think it's almost impossible. Do you think <laughs> uh, do you, so. is, is, was was Nadal your favorite going in? Um, to the tournament, or did you think with yeah, you know we've been talking yeah. about the conditions being a little bit heavier and you know harder to hit through the court or get the bounce and the balls being a little bit different, but you know th- yeah. there's no, there's Nadal still there, yeah, 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 no, he's definitely the favorite. I think the only two players that can that can beat him at the French Open right now are, are Team and and Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yes, yeah, so he only has to probably go through one of them and. I mean, he's just a natural. I mean, the minute he gets on the clay, he just he transforms himself. And I like that he, he he doesn't play defensively all the time. He's so aggressive. He controls the point, and he has so much margin. Um, and he he just has so much belief in himself. He's being, I, I he, love the match yeah. he just played against Sinner. Yeah, I thought that he was that was the first one he got really tested, and uh, you know he comes through. He doesn't panic. I think arguably he's, he's he's a better all-around player now on clay than he than he ever was. I mean, obviously even right. early on we knew he was going to be great, and he's you know ultra intense and and consistent and competitive. But I think he's become. I think actually he's he he's the only player, Mary Jo. I think when you look at the great clay court players in history, you know, Lendl, Borg got cut short because he retired. You know, Vlander. What, those, a lot of those players, they, they try to become better all-around players and better, you know, right. fast-court players, and it actually ended up hurting them on, on clay. I think for Rafa, it's been the opposite. The fact that he's become better on grass and hard-court, you know, taking the ball earlier, working on his serve, coming forward. I actually think that's made him even a better clay-court player in his later years, which is scary. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. Um, I love the fact that he's always trying to, to get better. You know, he's never satisfied. Even 
you know, during the tournament, I mean, I think I heard him in the first week of the French saying, you know, this practice was better than, than yesterday's practice. And, you know, I got better with my, I think it was his forehand on the line. You know, there's, just, right. there's always something that he's trying to improve um, at his level. You know, after he's accomplished so much and he's, he's, he's dominated so much, he's still trying to tweak and get better and improve. And I do agree that make, when he's made himself a better hardcore player, fastcore player, it's actually helped him on the play for sure. All right, so before I let you go, Mary Jo, and I appreciate you giving me uh, a few minutes here as in, your, in your busy schedule monitoring your husband and your kids and so on. Uh, uh, your husband, of course, if people who follow tennis know, is Roger Federer's manager, longtime manager, so you're very close with Roger and his family. So give me, give me your take on uh, if he comes back. I mean, I know he's planning on coming back, but sort what of – well, when, when he, he comes, comes back. back, okay. When he comes, see, that's toast. That's Mary yeah. Joe talking right there. Um, but what do you, what do you think? I mean, when he does come back, and let's hope it's Australia. I know that's his plan. Um, yeah. You know, where, where do where do you see him? You know, how do you see him coming back, and how much longer do you think he's going to play? You know, Patrick, that's such a good question. Um, that's why I asked it. It's Roger, my podcast. Yeah. No, I know, <laughs> but I mean, if you if you talk to Roger. I don't think he would ever think that he's ever going to stop. Um, and he's going to have to stop at some point. I just think he loves it so much. And he enjoys the traveling. and enjoys practicing still and, and doing the workouts. I mean, you know, he's, he's just had surgeries. And he's driven. He's motivated. I mean, this kind of, to me, would have been like the perfect time to say, okay, you know what? Why am I going to put myself through this and come back? Everybody's getting better. But... He's not like that. He um, he loves the game. He loves being out there and playing. And I think for sure we'll see see him play all of next year if he's healthy. On mm-hmm. and, and potentially you know another one after that. So wow. So into his forties. Um, that's the good you... news. That's, yeah, that's the good news for Fed fans. That's what I think. But again, maybe something drastic happens and, and he decides to call it a day. But uh, he's he's right now planning for sure to be in Australia. Uh, he's practicing already. And um, I just want to say one thing, Patrick, that you said a few years ago, that year that, that Roger didn't play the French. Right. You said in the first round, you said, you know, it's sad that we're not going to see something special today. Like when Roger plays, you always know that something special is going to happen. That's right. Yep. And I think that's, that's been the hardest part of not having him around these last few weeks, you know, these majors is, you know, even, you know, when he's not at his best, he still creates something pretty pretty special to watch. Uh, so I hope, like all the fans out there, that he does come back and that he can come back at a high level and, you know, contend at these big tournaments again. Yeah, let's hope he's in Australia. Let's hope we're in Australia because normally we are there for ESPN. So we, we, will, we will see if that happens uh, in 2021. And I will be a very happy uh, commentator when I get my schedule, like we all get the night before, you know, every day to major, and I see a uh, call in a match, Patrick McEnroe and Mary Joe Fernandez That's together, right. because because then That's I know, right. you know what, all's going to be good, no stress, <laughs> and uh, you know, you never say, what are you going to ask me, Patrick? What are you going to say? We just we just light it up and just let it go, right? That's right. You're the pro. You're the one that sets me up. So it all works. It all works. Well, you take care of yourself. Stay in touch. And uh, thank you so much for coming on Holding Court. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Patrick. Thanks for having me. The great Mary Joe Fernandez, everyone. Holding Court.
Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Thank you.